As we begin our worship, let us rise out of respect for our Lord. As congregation, we confess our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive now the greeting of our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In connection with the text for this morning, let us open Holy Scripture and turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we're going to start the reading at verse 30 and then read to the end of the chapter. They, that is the Lord Jesus and his disciples, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Thus far the scripture reads. The text for the preaching this morning is Mark 9, verse 49. 
Here we read God's word, for everyone will be salted with fire. After the sermon, let us sing Psalm 54, stanza 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the instruction of our Savior is not always easy for us to comprehend and to make our own. Our hearts, which by nature are sinful, can even resist or try to twist the words of our Savior so that they're easier for us to accept. That is our natural inclination. Take, for example, the lessons our Savior is giving to his disciples in our scripture reading. Sinful human beings are always out to seek their own advantage. Indeed, our whole modern way of life seems to assume this and base itself on it. But Christ says that we must not seek ourselves. We must not seek to be the greatest. Rather, he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And then the Lord Jesus even goes on and says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What does all this mean? At the very least, this much is obvious. It is very difficult to be a Christian. One must deny oneself completely and be prepared for concrete suffering and tangible hurt. That much is obvious. However, if we want to do justice to the meaning of Christ's words and understand them properly, we must realize that these words are spoken not only in the context of the Lord Jesus teaching his disciples about the suffering which they, his disciples, are going to be enduring, but Christ does all this instructing within the greater context of telling his disciples about his own suffering. Yes, about his death as Messiah. He would suffer and die. That is how our scripture reading began. However, Christ's death is not the end. He will rise again. His suffering concerns death, but it also leads to life. In the life of a Christian, those same elements are also present, be it not exactly in the same way. To be a Christian means that we must be prepared for suffering. Is not missing an eye or arm suffering? And yet the suffering does not simply lead to death. That is the case of the unbeliever who puts himself first and seeks to avoid the cost of obeying Christ. Unbelievers will lose their life. They go to hell whole. But disciples of Christ, Christians, although maimed and although losing an eye or a limb, they enter the kingdom of God to life eternal. Now, after these sayings, Christ says, everyone will be salted with fire. Let's focus on that this morning. Our theme is everyone will be salted with the fire. And this indicates two things. First of all, preparation for life. 
and secondly, the preservation of life. If you were to consult a King James translation, our text would have an addition, namely these words, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Now, there's general agreement among scholars that these words probably do not belong to the original New Testament, and that's why the ESV has these words in a note and not in the text. However, these additional words do point into the direction in which we have to go if we are to understand our text properly. Salt has indeed something to do with sacrifices, namely with the preparation of these sacrifices. And so we need to go, first of all, back to the Old Testament to understand fully the implications of our text. So if you look carefully in the Old Testament, you see that salt had to accompany sacrifices made to the Lord. For example, in Leviticus 2, verse 13, we read this. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Indeed. All sacrifices offered to God needed to be salted. Even the incense offering, it says in Exodus 30, make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted, pure and sacred. Now, salt would have helped the incense to burn and smoke, but there's more to it. Every sacrifice needed salt to make it acceptable to God. And therefore also of the burnt offering, we read in Ezekiel 43, the priests are to sprinkle salt on them. That is on the bull and the ram of the whole burnt offering. And then sacrifice them as a burnt offering to the Lord. It's of course obvious that you can only add salt after the animal has been killed. You don't put salt on a living creature. Now, because all sacrifices had to be salted before God, salt came to have a very important place in Israel. For without salt, the sacrifice was not acceptable to God. Indeed, the Lord God made salt a divine covenant symbol, a symbol which pervaded all aspects of life in Israel. After all, look at how critical and central the different sacrifices were. God demanded them. Israel had to give them, but each one had to have salt involved to make the sacrifice acceptable. The great importance of salt was also seen in the fact that when the temple was rebuilt after the exile, they made a special room just for the salt. As a result of this importance of salt, you even find God's eternal and steadfast covenant described in scripture as a covenant of salt. After all, salt makes sacrifices acceptable to God. And so the expression covenant of salt refers to the good and therefore enduring nature of the relationship in such a covenant. Such a covenant that is characterized by salt, is therefore an everlasting covenant. 
It goes on and on. There's no end to it. A particularly noteworthy moment when the covenant is so described is when two kings confront each other. King Jeroboam I of Israel and King Abijah of Judah each had their army behind them and they faced each other on the battlefield. And then Abijah stood on a mountain and he dramatically addressed Jeroboam and his men, pointing out that the Davidic kingship was the only legitimate kingship. And then he said, he started off by saying rather, Jeroboam and all Israel, listen to me. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? So a covenant of salt is an everlasting covenant. Salt makes sacrifices acceptable to God. Salt is integral and necessary in the preparation and maintenance of the covenant relationship. Perhaps by this time you're thinking, well, what does all this have to do with our text? Our text talks about being salted with fire. Well, the point is this. Christ speaks of his suffering. He speaks of his sacrifice. That was at the beginning of our scripture reading. But he also teaches his disciples that their lives will also involve suffering and their lives will also be a sacrifice to God, a sacrifice to be prepared for the Lord. And now consistent with the Old Testament, if their lives are to be acceptable to God as a holy sacrifice, then their life too has to be salted. And therefore, they will have to radically deny themselves. If even a hand causes sin, cut it off. If an eye causes problems, pluck it out. This is all a very powerful way of saying, if there is ever anything in the life of a Christian which hinders you to be prepared for God as a holy sacrifice pleasing to him, then whatever the hindrance is, even if it's part of yourself, it must be done away with as decisively and promptly as a surgeon cuts away a leg if necessary. It comes down to this. The sacrifice must be killed. For what good has or is the natural man? Indeed, the old nature must die. We must lose our lives to be made holy and prepared for God. After all, the sacrifice has to die to be salted and made ready for the Lord. Preparing oneself as a sacrifice to God is pretty radical. It involves killing, killing the old nature, and it involves the addition of salt, a radical salt, because it's a salt of fire. Fire hurts. And don't we know that as Christians? Is there not a fire in our lives that gives pain and hurt? For does it not hurt to deny oneself? To cut out the eyes of that old nature 
so that we can be prepared as a sacrifice to God. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. In order to offer ourselves to God as a sacrifice, we need to have the death according to the old nature. And as a cut-off hand and a plucked-out eye, it hurts to kill that old nature that we were born with. Have you ever been touched by fire? It stings, doesn't it? It hurts. The pain will burn in your flesh. Well, is it not likewise painful, according to the natural flesh, to keep oneself from unrighteousness and to submit oneself totally and completely to God's covenant demands, to be prepared by the Spirit of God as a sacrifice salted with fire? That's difficult because at the very same time, Satan is offering us easier alternatives for life. It's tough, whether you're young or old, to offer yourself to God totally and completely. How, for example, as a young person, you can struggle not to go along with the sin of this world. There are so many opportunities for sin, and it can all be done privately. It's so easy to always say no hurts. Or how difficult it can be for an older person or even an elderly person to keep resisting a sin that keeps bugging and keeps wanting to come back. Whether young or old, always that struggle against the old flesh, against sin. And when it comes down to it, really, who of us is able able to overcome sin and be perfect as God asks us to be perfect as he is perfect. It's actually impossible for us to prepare ourselves as sacrifices to God. It goes against our nature, which we inherited. According to the natural flesh, we like sin too much. And therefore, notice carefully what the Lord Jesus says. Everyone will be salted with fire. Notice he did not say that everyone should salt himself or herself with fire. Our Savior uses the passive. Everyone will be salted with fire. This is surely a word of grace. For it is God who is preparing us as a sacrifice acceptable to him. We could not do it on our own. He is the one who salts our lives, for it is his covenant of salt. Now, an unbeliever may at this point sneer and snicker and say skeptically, what you really mean is that God is going to make your life very difficult because he salts you with fire. What kind of God is that? He salts with fire. He brings pain and hurt. Always that struggle against sin Always that anguish about sin. Yes, that's true. But praise be God for it. It's also true that this pain and hurt of struggling against sin and iniquity is a covenant preparation for life. For the alternative is to live in sin 
and sin leads to death. But God in his mercy shows us the horribleness of sin so that we fight against sin and flee to him and receive from him the forgiveness of all our sins. Our God is readying us as sacrifices which need to be prepared for a life pleasing to God in his service. And we can rejoice in the privilege that God has taken pity on us and is preparing us as a sacrifice. Besides that daily struggle against sin, which forms part of God's preparation, there is also another aspect, namely the special circumstances in which we can find ourselves. The Gospel of Mark, for example, was written for Christians who were being persecuted viciously in Rome. It is remarkable that only Mark writes this word of the Lord Jesus in his gospel. But it's easy to see why. Those Roman Christians knew what it meant to be salted with fire. How Emperor Nero hurt as he killed and as he pursued them. His hostility against Christians seemed to no good purpose. But the Lord Jesus teaches here that the fiery salting and suffering that believers receive is preparation for offering their life to God. It has a purpose. The salting is integral to the covenant, just as in the Old Testament. And therefore, Peter can write to the Christians in Asia Minor in 1 Peter 4 that fiery trials and difficulties are simply part of being a Christian. Now, we confess ourselves to be Christian. We also want to give our lives as a sacrifice to God, right? We want to do that. The Spirit has worked that desire in our hearts. That's why we're in church this morning or watching on live stream. This desire to give our lives in the Lord's service should then motivate everything, right? But the Lord Jesus reminds us there are costs involved in giving your life to God's service. There are the real costs of a sacrifice being killed and being salted with, by God with fire, a covenant necessity for a sacrifice to be acceptable. This salting, though painful, is a process that must continue until the sacrifice is completely ready for the Lord. And this is simply a cost that we need to reckon with. A simple illustration may help. When a mother prepares food, she knows exactly how much salt and seasoning each type of meat or vegetable needs. Some need more than others to be prepared and ready. Well, our Heavenly Father also knows our needs. The one he salts and prepares one way, the other he does it in a different way. But all Preparation is painful. It is being salted with fire in fiery trials. The one family has sickness. The other family has a different sorrow to contend with. The one person has this grief or struggle in life. The other has something else. In a very real sense, the life of every Christian has difficulties, real difficulties, for no one is exempt. Christ says, Everyone will be salted with fire. 
it is necessary in God's covenant of salt. Otherwise, we won't be prepared. We won't be ready. We won't be acceptable. And therefore, every Christian, every one of us, in some way or another, will feel at one time or another the heat being put on and the salting with fire taking place. For this preparation is also a preparation of holiness. For like the Old Testament sacrifices, also the sacrifice of our lives is to be holy. Fire is used in scripture for purging, for purifying. As fire is used in refining metals so that only the pure alloy is left, so the salty fire of God with which he sends struggle to our lives has as a purpose to purge our lives from sin. And is it not true that when God salts us, when God makes us go through the agony of fighting sin or enduring a special trial, is it not true that when that happens, we lose something? Something that hid the purity of the sacrifice Christ wants? For example, we may have had difficulty praying, couldn't really see the sense of it, did it out of custom and superstition, out of habit, until God salts us with fire. And then we go to him because we're hurting and prayer suddenly becomes alive and real. And then we thank God that we've lost a member of the old body, slothful prayer. And suddenly our prayer in other areas become more real and our faith becomes more firm and strong. Fire purifies bad elements away because God is preparing us. Do not be surprised if life as a Christian is difficult. You're not unique. Salt, God is salting you with fire. No one of us is excluded. He is purging us so that we can receive a good and holy sacrifice, one worthy of being dedicated to him. A sacrifice that has had the refining he turned on. And as Christians, we know that God prepares us to bring us to himself. For the fire that hurts also helps clear away sin and obstacles in our spiritual life so that we can more properly see and focus on our master and savior. He gives hope and he makes us realize that it is all for life preservation. It's for our good. For it is not the fire of judgment and hell, but it is the evidence of God's grace and mercy. He does it to preserve us for entry into his kingdom. This takes us then to our second point. The sultan with fire is for the preservation of life. This goal of preservation, even as God prepares us for a sacrifice to himself, is an awesome miracle. Because sacrifices, by definition, are meant for death. Undoubtedly, the persecuted Christians in Rome literally experienced that. But God means it for life. Not just in the case of the martyrs who go to their reward of life eternal in glory, but God means it for life also for us today, here and now. For when we prepare ourselves as a sacrifice to God, 
when God prepares us as a sacrifice to himself, then we seek to kill the old nature. We struggle against it. And it's all for life. And when God sends purifying fire into our lives, the fire is not to kill, but to preserve as salt. For we are salted with fire. Salted. That puts all the negatives in a positive light. For salt is good. It is crucial for keeping food preserved. It would not take long for meat to spoil in Palestine without being salted. It would soon decay and rot. The atmosphere or climate environment led itself to decay. It all worked against preservation, and therefore a preservative like salt was needed. And in order that we be preserved, God also needs to salt us. It is for our preservation, because we live in a very corrosive atmosphere of sin, and decay comes very, very easily in our current culture. Who would survive in the present world of decay without being salted by another? We can salt ourselves. It's against our nature. But God, who has made a covenant of salt with us, he salts us to preserve us for himself, to keep us alive in him. In Christ. And when the Lord does that, then he transforms us. And we see the world through different eyes. We see that we are being those who are actually being kept alive. While others who reject the Lord decay and die. It's actually a horrifying sight. We see that unbelievers also have their difficulties and afflictions. They also have fire in their lives. But it's as if Satan is putting fire in them so he can nourish his ego on them in the eternal fire of hell. For the world can now already, in various ways, experience the beginning of hellish agony, a painful experience of fire. But by God's grace, we may be salted by the fire of God's covenant preparation, and we may experience another beginning, the beginning of life with God, life eternal, a life of joy inextinguishable, a life fanned by the fiery spirit of the Son of God. This is a good fire, the fire of the Spirit, as first given to the congregation in Pentecost. This fire we must not extinguish. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, do not put out the Spirit's fire. This is the good fire which causes us to turn from sin and to focus on the Lord. The spirit fire gives the true joy in the Lord so that the darkness of the present time is pushed back. And then we don't see our difficulties as being overwhelmed or engrossed by them. But then we see it all within the context of our Savior who is working to preserve us. And then we realize why Christ's trials and sacrifice and the disciples' trials and sacrifice are placed side by side in Mark 9. And then we understand why the instruction of our being salted is paralleled with Christ's instruction about his own coming suffering. In other words, our suffering 
must be seen in the perspective of Christ's suffering and death. And then, what can we say? In the contrast, our troubles don't compare with Christ's. For look, in grace we are being salted with fire. For life, we're being prepared for the foretaste of eternal joy in the eternal covenant of the salt. Why? Because Christ was prepared for the hellish death in our place, death eternal. He went through hellfire in a death so terrible and agonizing that its worth and power is sufficient to put all of creation in preservative for God if only they would believe. With the sacrifice of Christ dominating our lives and with that perfect and awesome once for all sacrifice in our mind, we let the Lord prepare us to be pleasing sacrifice to him. We let him work even if it causes pain, even if it makes for hard decisions, even if it means cutting off the old nature. But the Lord prepares us as sacrifices which are living, which can give thanks to God for his incomprehensible gift of love. Being a Christian is not easy. And a text like ours this morning is a sobering thought. Being a Christian means being salted with fire. All of us. Everyone will be salted with fire, Christ said. But why? Well, so that we can jubilantly say, we thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, so that, as Peter put it, we may offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, sacrifices based on the old covenant of salt. In the old dispensation, there were three basic offerings that needed to be salted. The sermon started with those offerings. While these old sacrifices still speak to us today, for by God's grace, these sacrifices can find fulfillment in our lives. First, there's the incense sacrifice. As the incense offerings were seasoned with salt, so our prayers may rise up as incense to the throne of Almighty God. For the incense offering are the prayers of the saints. As the author of Hebrews 13 puts it, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And our God in heaven savors the fragrance of our thanksgiving and joy. He likes the smell, for this incense is a result of his seasoning us with salt. And then there are the grain or cereal offerings. Like cereal offerings, we offer gifts to God. Gifts of a happy Christian life in which God can recognize his seasoning work. And then there is the whole burnt offering. Like the whole burnt offering, we place ourselves entirely on the altar of thanksgiving. We know it will hurt. Fire is involved. But it's not for death. It's for life. For in the apostolic word, our bodies are to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It is not for sorrow. It's for jubilation, for thanksgiving, for being set free ultimately from all suffering. 
and God is well pleased. For he hears us say, or hears us sing, as we'll do shortly, Psalm 54. To you I bring my free will offering, my sacrifice of gratitude. You are the one who set me free from all the troubles that distressed me. Amen. Receive the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.